Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today and thank you for taking time to be with us as we tackle several important broadband project management issues. We're here to provide useful information and insights to help communities, companies, and nonprofit organizations get more and better broadband to everywhere it needs to be in America. Today, we're going to look at one of the bigger challenges in the world of broadband, which is managing the implementation of one of these projects for an entire state. And with us today is an impressive uh, panel of folks who have key roles in Wisconsin's broadband-funded, uh, broadband stimulus-funded initiative, Building Community Capacity Through Broadband. First, there's Brian Reamer, who's the technology project manager for the initiative. Brian has 20 years' experience doing that IT magic that he does, and uh, and for us marketing-type folks, anything in IT probably is considered magic, but definitely some, some impressive stuff there. He's been uh, doing this for a while, including having dual responsibilities with both um, Wisconsin Net, I guess WISCnet for short, and the University of Wisconsin System. Uh, we have uh, Professor Andy Lewis, um, who is the Community and Economic Development Manager for the project. And uh, prior to the broadband stimulus uh, project, Professor Lewis served as the um, as a community development specialist in the Center for Community and Economic Development since 2001. And uh, representing the uh, pu- uh, the private side of the public-private partnership is Joe Esbrook, who is the Director of Operations and General Manager for Packerland Broadband, uh, which is a, a regional cable voice and data services provider. Um, one of uh, Joe's previous positions was the Vice President of North Michigan Operations for Charter Communications, and all total he has about 35, uh, 25 years uh, in the business. And I will put a shout-out to uh, Jennifer Smith, who is the Director of Communications and Marketing, who was scheduled also to be with us but couldn't make it due to illness, and uh, we all wish her a speedy recovery. Um, so let's dive in here. Let's talk about the project. Um, what does this project entail in terms of its primary deliverables? Well, Craig, this is uh, Andy, and it's a it's a pleasure to join you today. And and I would say I think we we've got a we do have an impressive uh, team of people that are putting together this uh, complex project. And I'd argue that the building community capacity through broadband does two things. It gets some of our demonstration communities the level of connectivity that they need to run uh, innovative applications and to connect their public and civic organizations. But we also recognize that the build it and you'll come model often doesn't work and that we needed to have an educational and promotion program around that infrastructure that helps teach the community how to maximize the improved connectivity that this project's providing. But, you know, in a nutshell, this was uh, funded through the uh, Broadband Technology Opportunities Program, part of the stimulus funds through Commerce. And uh, between the, the educational initiative and the fiber installation project, it's about a $45 million project. 
And uh, on the fiber side, uh, we received close to $30 million in federal support, and on the educational side, about $2.4 million, and then some significant uh, in-kind and cash matches from the various partners. And there are many uh, partners that are uh, a part of this project, and, and that has something to do with the, the complexity of the project. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned demonstration communities. What, do you, what, what exactly is that? Well, we think it's really interesting that we have uh, one region in our state, the Chippewa Valley, uh, that 12 years ago started an entity called the Chippewa Internetworking Consortium, or SYNC, that was uh, essentially a bunch of IT people uh, that were getting around the table in 1999 trying to solve the uh, Y2K problem that never amounted to much, and then recognizing the value of... uh, collaboration and starting to think about what other problems in the region did they need to be solving that were IT related and creating this organization to build out the fiber that they had been waiting for, to build out the level of connectivity that they had been waiting for, and to manage that um, fiber network uh, collectively with both the financial resources and the uh, IT resources. And it's really about sharing resources to solve common problems and to get that region uh, high-speed connectivity. It's been a very effective model, and we're trying to replicate that in uh, three other uh, regions that we're calling uh, demonstration communities, and then there's a major expansion of the uh, SYNC network, Uh, so moving beyond uh, what SYNC looks like today, and in fact it even includes a a a wireless component, so it's not even all fiber when we talk about the infrastructure side. So the demonstration communities are really trying to uh, replicate what's happening in the Chippewa Valley. We have a fifth uh, demonstration community that we're working with uh, strictly on the educational side that uh, is not uh, creating a community area network. Mm -hmm. And so these are demonstration projects for um, what you will build later, or these are demonstration projects which you are hoping to be replicated by other projects funded from other sources? Well, you know, well, first, one of the things I'd say is that because a lot of people ask this, I mean, how are we going to spread this uh, model of community area networks because, you know, you're not going to have stimulus funding uh, every year. And if you talk to the folks in SYNC, they'll tell you that They built that network uh, with virtually uh, no grant support. It pays for itself. The payback periods on this infrastructure are very short. Uh, Within the community area networks, about four to five years, and then even shorter time frames on the middle mile fiber. So when I say demonstration communities, we are building out uh, community area networks, creating the infrastructure and creating the organizations to manage them in those uh, three new communities and then within the expanded uh, SYNC network. So as a part of this grant project, we're building out the fiber to those communities and then building the fiber that connects the institutions within those communities that will be managed and owned by the community. So that's part of the grant project. And then, of course, we're already starting to think about um, post-grant. I mean, how can we help other communities beyond uh, these five communities that we're working with uh, as a part of this grant project? So are these five communities all in one part of the state, or are they, you know, represent the, I don't know, four or five corners of the state? Or Yeah, I think there was a lot of consideration that went into 
picking these communities, and one of those considerations was uh, some diversity regional, regionally, and I think we have the state fairly well covered. Uh, in the southwestern corner of the state, just across the river from Dubuque, we have uh, Platteville uh, in Grant County. In the far northwest corner of the state, uh, we're working with Superior, which is in Douglas County, and just across the harbor from Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, in central Wisconsin, we're working with Wausau uh, in Marathon County, and uh, we're also working with the uh, Menominee Tribal College in uh, Menominee County, a very small uh, county of less than 5,000 people. And then uh, in the northwest part of the state, the uh, Chippewa Valley. So those would be the five regions that are dispersed you know, across the state. But there are some really big differences, and I think that was intentional uh, to see what kinds of lessons we could learn uh, through this pilot project. Mm-hmm. And how far along are you with the project? Uh, you know, Brian and Joe can probably chime in uh, here, but, uh, you know, based on what our projections were for the installation of the fiber, I think we're actually slightly uh, ahead of schedule. And uh, the educational efforts were, were definitely on schedule uh, in terms of delivering uh, the educational programs and products that uh, we had promised. But, uh, Brian, do you want to give us an update on the infrastructure side of things? Absolutely. Uh, I think it's important to note too, and some of what Andy was getting at is within those communities, uh, the the projects there, the infrastructure installation, are being designed and led within the communities themselves. That that's not up to those of us that are, are working centrally to dictate how that goes, what streets the fiber goes down, who gets service and who doesn't. That's all within the communities, and as such, they are the ones independently that are, are driving their own. Uh, construction their own installation uh, within the the largest by far is that Chippewa Valley and there's over a hundred miles of fiber that will be installed there um, and then uh, out of a total project of roughly 600 miles of fiber about 400 of that total is what we call long haul or middle mile it's it's the fiber that goes uh, that interconnects those communities with the rest of the world and also uh, we'll provide service that, that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, in Packerland areas, they have a number of, of uh, smaller communities along that long-haul path where they'll be providing uh, improved service, and I'll let Joe talk, talk to that in just a moment. Um, one of the issues, and, and you may have heard this from other projects or other folks uh, in the nation, is that there's uh, a shortage or a delay, at least in delivery, for fiber optic cable where orders are taking anywhere from from three to 12 months uh, between order and, and delivery of that cable. Due to the timelines uh, that we're under for the grant, that meant that we couldn't wait for the fiber to be in hand before we started doing any work. Instead, we started uh, about the middle of the summer installing conduit throughout the state. And at this point, we've got somewhere around uh, closing in on, on half of our total mileage that, that we have covered by conduit, and that's of course the the vast bulk of the effort is that's all the the digging in the ground, that's the hard work, and then uh, later once the the fiber actually gets here, and I'm told that some of it did just arrive in the last couple of weeks, then it's a, a much easier matter to pull that fiber into the conduit once it's already in the ground, and of course up here in Wisconsin where we freeze solid for about three months of the year, that's an added benefit. <laughs> 
that we'll be able to do something productive during those frozen months because we can still pull the uh, the fiber into that conduit even though we can't dig up the ground very easily anymore. So uh, the the BTOP program uh, judges our progress by a number of metrics, including uh, miles of fiber in the ground. They're not terribly concerned with how much conduit we have because that isn't actually useful yet. But it's, it's sort of a, a good second prize. For actual miles in the ground, I think we're in the neighborhood of, of 30 to 40 that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you're 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 doing okay. You got past all the environmental stuff that I guess you know held up a lot of folks, yeah. and you're um, working past the cable shortage, which is another. I, I was I was always wondering what those cable folks were, you know, the manufacturers were doing when all these awards were being handed out, because you had to assume they were going to be, you know, hit up for all of you winners, calling them to buy cable. I mean, you should have. I don't know. Long story. That's not our part of the discussion. <laughs> I've heard a number of excuses, including the uh, earthquake in Japan, as to reasons for shortages there. But it's, uh, I, I think some others have better insights on that than I do. Right. I we've been waiting a while. No worries. Well, you're still making progress regardless, so that's always a good thing. Um, so now, have you started to see any benefit? Well, have any of these, these, uh, any of these parts of the structure been turned on yet, or is it just strictly we're in build mode right now? For fiber, we're in build mode. Um, there is another component uh, specific to the Chippewa Valley, and again, this sort of underscores how they, uh, uh, how each of these communities are at different points in their their maturity. They've had an established infrastructure there for over a decade now, and so when this opportunity came up, they took a chance and said, "Let's add some wireless to that as well, uh, using WiMAX and Wi-Fi technologies." And uh, they've actually brought up some of those folks in um, in trial mode, demonstration mode. So they have people now that, that are getting real services through uh, WiMAX Wireless as part of this project. For direct fiber connections, we don't have anybody that's uh, running live yet. Okay. Now, Brian, I was going to say that that's impacted the educational side of things, too. Our, our outreach educator in the Chippewa Valley, Jill Hippus, um, didn't have a, uh, a broadband uh, connection at the senior center in, in Chippewa Falls, and uh, John LeBrun gave her one of the uh, uh, wireless, uh, the WiMAX cards, and so she's now able to do some educational programming at the senior center in Chippewa Falls. So we're already starting to see some use of that infrastructure that's just being tested and piloted. Mm -hmm. So are you adding the wireless to the new fiber that's coming in? Are you adding wireless to existing uh, infrastructure and then the the new infrastructure will just basically leapfrog that. I'd, I'd say it's all being blended together. Okay. The, the new uh, fiber infrastructure includes access to a, a number of new tower locations for the, the wireless project, but some of the the wireless uh, equipment is also being placed on existing infrastructure that they've had in place, so that they are, will create a full umbrella over the better part of two counties. Huh, that's interesting. Well, you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta work these things in tandem. Now, um, either Brian or Andy, you, the 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 university group that's part of this project, weren't you guys doing broadband stuff before the stimulus? Well, we we were certainly doing broadband stuff, and I can I'll speak to myself is that uh, 
uh, University of Wisconsin Extension was helping communities think about broadband solutions and plan for connectivity and determine the kinds of connectivity they, needs they had uh, prior to this project. And I think uh, University of Wisconsin Extension has a long history of helping build community capacity to address new issues. And it's been probably overstated way too many times, but uh, one of the best examples that I think uh, we can use is the electrification of rural Wisconsin. When rural Wisconsin was basically bypassed by the private sector providers, Extension played a strong role in helping create the rural electric uh, cooperatives in, in the state of Wisconsin and then getting REA funds to, to build out those networks. And, you know, the very first rural electric co-op in Wisconsin was in Richland County, and not surprisingly, their first president was the local Extension educator in Richland County, uh, E.V. Vernon Miller. And mm -hmm. it really felt like when we were talking about broadband, it felt a lot like that. We've got rural areas that are being left behind, and uh, we can play a role in helping communities think about what their broadband strategies are. So when this uh, $7.2 billion uh, stimulus funds came along, it felt like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to jumpstart some solutions in these demonstration communities. And Again, we can do this uh, without the grant funds, but what we could do in a short amount of time, given these resources, is just tremendous. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely made a, has made a difference, and uh, and in some respects, you're you're generating uh, benefits just by virtue of the fact that you've used the wireless and and, and getting people on board sooner rather than um, later. So how do you structure a um, the operations management of this process. And I mean, for example, in Missouri, they have, um, I don't know, uh, over a dozen regional planning committees, and that's how they both plan and expect to, down the road, coordinate the project. So there's kind of a distributed um, planning and management process. And uh, in other places, uh, for doing a regional project, they'll have a board that's a, that has a representative from each uh, community or town or whatever that's being affected. How did how did you guys structure this operationally to you know get these five moving parts all sort of coordinated and moving forward in some semblance of synchronicity? Well, this is Andy again. I think I'd speak to the, the partners, and certainly uh, WISCONET played a strong role in that they have over 400 uh, nonprofit members across the state and had been doing a lot of outreach activity to get them to think about, you know, what would the state look like if we could build out big broadband in the state of Wisconsin. So I think certainly having WISCNET as a partner helped us reach uh, some of those communities. Uh, much of what you're talking about uh, relates to the broadband planning and mapping, and I think every state got some BTOP funds for planning and mapping, and Wisconsin was uh, no exception. The, the Public Service Commission um, is directing those efforts, and so we also have the state divided up by region. And I, I would be critical in that, uh, boy, you know, we probably should have done the, the, the planning and mapping that would then indicate where we should be making these investments, but we didn't have that luxury. And, uh, you know, in defense of those efforts, the whole stimulus program was about infusing uh, money into the local economy and creating some economic activity and job creation. So that's what we're dealing with, is that we've got planning and mapping going on at the same time that we're actually building out infrastructure. So we simply had to use our best judgment on which communities were 
you know, what the feds might have called shovel-ready, that we're ready to jump into this, that we're going to be um, successful uh, in in managing and building these networks. And uh, it was a judgment call in terms of the, the communities that we chose to, to work with, but it was certainly an informed uh, judgment. Mm-hmm. If I can back back up just a little bit, what is WISCnet for the folks who are listening who don't know? Ryan, you're probably the best person to address that. Uh, WISNET is a, a nonprofit cooperative of uh, predominantly schools. Uh, started with the university system and the, the 13, 26 campuses across the, the state and a number of other private higher ed and, and K-12 members. Um, definitely focused on research and education. And then to uh, uh, also within the mission is, is other public sector like uh uh, city and, and county governments, state government, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Operates uh, just on a, a cost recovery basis. Uh, exists as a, a 501c3, and it's the, the trusted partner. I think it often plays a, a good role as a, a trusted third party, uh, helping folks come together, helping those members come together in essence and provide uh, networking for themselves started mm-hmm. predominantly as a, as an ISP before the, the world even knew what ISPs were <laughs> and has since grown into uh, uh, providing many other services, providing a, a community of people that work together, um, generally with an IT focus, but it's no longer simply limited to networking. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, go ahead, Lydia. No, uh, Craig, I was thinking this might be a, a good time to pull in Joe, too, and talk about the private sector perspective and, and how soon this infrastructure might be tapped to serve some of the small communities where uh, Packerland is the last-mile uh, provider. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Andy, for the introduction, um, and Craig, uh, for the opportunity to, to join you guys today. Very honored. Um, well, a little bit about Packerland. Packerland, uh, uh, as uh, we mentioned earlier, is a, uh, a technology company, uh, cable, internet, telephone, and our our primary mission uh, is to serve rural America. So this project, uh, you know, was a good fit for us. Um, you know, we, we feel uh, in the communities that we serve, which is about 72 uh, communities in in Wisconsin and in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, really to you know do our part to help them thrive and grow and it it's for us it's really kind of an economic development kind of uh aspect uh because you know what's happening to these small cities and in towns uh in rural America is uh you know they're finding a need to change and adapt because all of a sudden the world around them changed uh, i'm sure craig you'll you'll share with me uh ten fifteen years ago something happened you know there was a big mm-hmm. shift in, in in technology and uh in the way we used to do things and and live and work and play and uh so you know <clears throat> companies and and towns and cities needed to uh adapt and change to keep up with the rest of the world. They really had to change their thinking uh, on the way they uh, they did things to to uh, keep up uh, with the rest of the communities and, and towns that they uh, uh, compete with to stay competitive. Because you know we're we're no longer uh, competing with the the city next door or the county uh, next door, the state even uh, across the uh, the river uh, or even the states from the southeast, west, uh, Mexico. We're competing with the world, the entire world. And uh, what we're doing is we're giving these these smaller communities an opportunity to do that. 
um, much like you know when when the schools of choice came out uh, what we're doing is we're taking broadband and we're making uh, 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 small cities and towns what we call communities of choice uh, because mm-hmm. we, we, you know bra- uh, broadband really is an accelerator uh, of economic development if you look uh, in, the, in the top economic development sites of, of what companies look for when they go someplace to expand or relocate, you know, broadband is on, on the top uh, five uh, of that category. So, uh, you know, with the way cities in, in uh, rural America is today with their infrastructure, they cannot support any type of, uh, you know, advancement or expansion, if you will. Mm-hmm. Kind of going back to, you know, uh, I think Andy mentioned it earlier, the uh, early days of uh, deploying electricity across the nation. Uh, you're finding broadband uh, to be equally as important or sometimes more important to do that because it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's given these uh, cities and, and small town rural America, the businesses and the, the residents, the opportunity to, to live there and work there and to expand and grow to create economic development. Uh, you know, the, the governments are using it, public safety, uh, Education, distant learning, uh, security, telemedicine, tourism, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, really, that's our, our role is to deliver that to areas where uh, there's opportunity to promote economic growth and vitality. And, uh, uh, you know, we mentioned earlier there's kind of two components to this. One is middle mile, where we're, we're extending this fiber uh, across certain parts of the state of uh, Wisconsin, uh, it's not only for uh, you know the education and the anchor institutions, but this fiber is being made available to all private sector, telephone companies, cable companies, uh, wireless companies. Um, this this infrastructure is being made available uh, for them to do the same thing we want to do, and that's you know grow their business and to grow the the cities that they serve. And uh, you know we see a big uh, a big opportunity here for Wisconsin, who I think Andy will give you the right number, but I think they're 46, 47th in the nation in, in broadband access. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know and, I think uh, yeah you, you start talking about those numbers mm-hmm. and people's heads start to swim. But at least in terms of the percentage of households in Wisconsin that have access to broadband, yeah, we rank 45th. So. We, we're not doing something right, and, and we think we need some, some new solutions and new models for expanding broadband. Right, and so the, the, the final component of this it would be uh, our, our last mile component where we are going into a, a several of the cities that we're, we're crossing here that we, we currently do business in, and we're upgrading those plants. And that's you know uh, private sector money uh, uh, combined with, with some public sector money, which would never usually allow, uh, you know, this type of activity to happen without this type of partnership, or at least it would have took a, a lot longer. So it's really accelerating um, some opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've read, uh, okay, so in the last week, um, uh, Washington, D.C. announced a network, <clears throat> a major 100-gig network, and um, but it's a middle-mile network. And so... The questions that are being raised, and it's kind of interesting that it took Washington to kind of get this question popping around the media, but it was basically, okay, so we have the middle mile network. It's wiring the institutions, but how do we get the the last mile for everyone else? 
and I've weighed in on that, and a couple people have as well. But um, <clears throat> hasn't this been sort of uh, this isn't a new discussion? I would assume. I mean, I, I would have assumed that you guys discussed the middle mile, last mile connection. Uh, I don't know when you when that when the whole project started. Is that, is that a correct assumption? I mean, what what are the plans for for the last mile part? But isn't that something that's really taken into consideration pretty much from the get go when you start to do the middle mile pro- part of it? Well, well, sure. This is Joe. Yeah. Oh, ahead, was Joe. that Andy? You want to start off? No, go ahead, Joe. Okay, I say yeah. When when we um, when we originally you know looked at this opportunity and and where Packerland uh, was you know g- going to add value or be a fit to it. Um, you know the, the 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 planning that we did, uh, we had to go back and you know analyze uh, where we're going to run the fiber. Uh, you know the the anchor institutions had a big part of this. Uh, you know, kind of like, they're not only anchor institutions, but they're kind of like our anchor customers, uh, helping us uh, uh, you know justify the ability to 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 do our investment to get uh, from point A to point B uh, and offset some of those costs. And then you know we had we had to take in consideration what you know where where did that map overlay on our uh footprint and uh what you know benefits uh that we could uh realize with uh, the project and and deliver you know uh, the services to our uh towns that we over overlaid on so sure there was a there was a lot of planning in that respect mhm so what is the main uh i don't know lever or inducement to get the last mile covered because the dynamic that I see that led us to all of these middle mile projects is they were being funded uh, through stimulus money because a lot of private sector companies could not or would not take the initiative uh, or just be able to afford to build that infrastructure in the uh, you know the backhaul infrastructure because there was little payback for sure. for doing that sure. but mm-hmm. but at the same point once you get to the the last mile are we in danger of having the same kind of arguments come up where someone says, you know, maybe they're a regional company instead of a national company, they say, well, you know, we can't afford to wire the last mile either because there's well, only, yeah. you know, a thousand people there. And Sure, sure. Well, you know, everything's economy of scale. So if you look at uh, going to these uh, these small towns, small rural America, uh, you know, getting there is, is your biggest battle. Uh, when I say getting there, that's delivering, you know, the pipe. And, um, and this is where the middle mile kicks in because you you can't, and I can only speak on behalf of Packerland, but um, it's let's just say it's very hard to buy things like dark fiber uh, that that may be uh, already deployed in some areas. Uh, a lot of areas don't have it, and and really to to get the pipes close or near these these uh, centers uh, really is the challenge. I think uh, you know if you can if you can get there reasonable. You can almost always uh, make a business uh, case uh, to do it because, you know, we're not only selling cable TV anymore. We're selling, uh, you know, broadband, Internet, and uh, telephone and digital. So there's there's many products to, to help offset that uh, that investment and make the business model work. Mm-hmm. So absent of the stimulus uh, money, what's going to be the impetus for people to continue building uh, backhaul because you know with backhaul you're not looking at the same kind of business case or ROI. Am I not correct? Then I mean, I mean make some not well confusing you know, the point here. But. Well, it, yes and no. There's there's just a different 
different customer. Uh, there, there is still a tremendous uh, need, just like the highway system, just like the, uh, you know, the four and six lane highways that we have out there, uh, and the gravel roads. There's still, uh, there's still a need to transport data, uh, voice, telecommunications data, uh, video, things of that nature, and there's a need to have redundancy in, in the network. So, you know, a lot of times you just don't build a, a network to deliver a service per se as much as you do to provide some redundancy and some some uh, safety nets in, in the existing service that you provide customers because if you're you know you're dealing with health care you can't be you can't afford to be uh, uh, out of service and uh, or if you're dealing with you know many many people on the telephone uh, that, that's just something that you don't want to have happen is have your network fail so mm-hmm. so you have network redundancy you got to look at you have uh, you have a whole set of different customers uh, that that use this middle mile and this long haul fiber, and of course you know the the uh, the bigger the the user the the bigger the price tag on on the uh, the cost of the service. So I guess proportionately uh, you you make a, a case for both both mm-hmm. the uh, long haul and the the middle mile and then uh, uh, the uh, the last mile. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, shift gears here just a little bit. I want to talk about the the mechanics or the logistics of the partnership, right? Because the public-private partnership is being, I believe, defined and redefined in large part because of broadband. I mean, before the broadband stimulus, uh, I mean, people talked about public-private partnerships, but then as they started to roll out and the stimulus came into play, I think I've seen, I don't know, five, six variations on what a, quote, typical public-private partnership looks like. Um, What what does it look like in your case? Number one, how did it come together? Did the university approach uh, Packerland? Packerland approached the university. How did you guys, how did you meet? How did you date? How did you get hooked up? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let one of you guys start out and I can I can chime in. Uh, this is Brian. I'll give it a shot and, and uh, others can clean up the pieces. Uh, the the As we said earlier, I think that the UW kind of started with the, the grant project uh, along with WISNET and, and the, the public sector partners and identified fairly early on, kind of like you said, that um, just serving those those anchor, those community anchor institutions uh, wasn't going to be enough to, to have the big impact. We needed to get uh, the private side in there as well. We needed a way to provide services to other businesses, to other providers, uh, to the residents. And... Um, it, it was sort of helpful at the, about the same time we were realizing that the uh, the BTOP conditions, uh, we, we got a tip that, or not a tip, it was a, a, a stated list of criteria for successful um, grant applicants included having a public-private partnership. And they, they didn't go much beyond that, but they, that really pushed the idea. So it's, we'd had previous experience with uh, with Packerland, uh, sort of a, a one-off um conversations and joe is, is it right to say that that you guys had um tried for a round one grant we did yeah we we, we actually applied for a round one and uh although we did uh we thought we did a good job of it you know with the, the competing entities out there uh we we did not get that grant and uh i, I think you know brian's right on the uh, right on the mark there when he's talking about um these these projects being viewed favorably when you have both the public sector uh, and the private sector coming together 
and, and more importantly, the uh, private sector, like we did, uh, investing a lot of money uh, in the project. Uh, and I think that tells uh, you know the, the the story to the to people uh, in charge of uh, dishing out the money is that hey, if you have uh, you have the private sector willing to take risk in in a project like this, because you know this this is not a gimme project. There, there's a there's still a lot of risk out there. Uh, and uh, you know we felt like with any other business partnership that uh, we had known uh, the University of Wisconsin Extension folks. Uh, we 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 did you know business previously with them, and um, you know we we knew the folks down there had the capacity, um, both technically and and uh, uh, with the rest of the knowledge that was needed uh, to to put this thing together. And, uh, you know, we took a stab at it. And we, and we we knew going into it that we had a great business case. Uh, and I think that probably was one of the things that the private sector brings, you know, is more of a, uh, you know, the thing has to uh, be justified and pay for itself uh, at some point in time. Uh, although, you know, the the ability to receive these, these uh, funds, you know, clearly, uh, you know, pushed the case uh, in a positive direction. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you were able to move forward. That was good. And then probably having prior – now, did you, did you have prior knowledge. Did you have a prior working relationship, did you say? Yes, we uh, – we, Okay, we had so you have worked with them before, which is yep. also a good yep. opening. Um, the, the regulatory environment is probably important to talk about, too. I think it would be hard to have a, a program with widespread impact that wasn't a public-private partnership in Wisconsin because – you know, it's different in every state, but essentially our public entities, the cities, counties, villages, towns, are not permitted to provide broadband services to businesses and residents. We can serve those core anchor institutions, but we can't serve those businesses and residents. So as Joe was saying, as we bring those big pipelines closer to some of these small communities, it allows Packer Land to serve some really small communities that that wouldn't be familiar to you. I mean, these are tiny towns of Augusta and Junction City, Fall Creek, Pittsville, uh, very small communities that they serve. And then uh, we're pleased by it. Uh, as a condition of the grant, all of this middle mile fiber that's being built out has to be made available to uh, any last mile provider. And many of those middle mile uh, stretches are running through, again, very small communities. And by Putting that infrastructure in, it should reduce the uh, cost to those last-mile providers. But I just wanted to, to put that plug in there. Given our regulatory environment, I think it really demands uh, a public-private partnership. And Absolutely. you're right. <laughs> and you know, it's a, we don't. Uh, Joe was talking about this earlier. It's not. Uh, it's not the university presidents and professors out there digging the trenches and installing the fiber. It's it's private sector investment and. Uh, CCI Systems Packerland has done a good job of uh, sourcing most of those materials in Wisconsin. And so when you were talking earlier about immediate uh, impacts, clearly there's been uh, job creation and investment from, from day one. And uh, that just demands a, that private sector partner. Mm-hmm. And how do you structure things so that everyone stays on the same page because at a certain point, you know, Packerland is there to make a, a profit and have to be mindful of the bottom line. The university, as a nonprofit, is concerned with the public good. I mean, clearly they've got to make some money, um, but <clears throat> it's not the same dynamic. Is there ever a point when 
those two divergent interests become a little harder to bridge than other times, and, and how do you work through that? Uh, this is Brian. Uh, I, I think a piece of that, I, I want to first compliment Packerland. Uh, they have been remarkable in their their viewpoint of the, the greater good here, and uh, in comparison to, to what we may think of, of private business, especially if you've been in a, a university or a public setting for a long time, uh, they, they really do have uh, a much wider, uh, better view for, for what they can create, and that's, I think you heard Joe talk to that earlier. But within the structure, I think what we've done to help try to, to separate those those different missions a little bit is, uh, and kind of to your question earlier about how is this partnership structured, um, uh, we each brought uh, a lot of the, the matching funds re required for the grant to the table. So Packerland put in money and uh, the UW and WISNET put in money as well as uh, quite a bit from the community partners. And then when we're all done with this, We'll have we'll actually be splitting the fiber with a uh, a good chunk of it designated dedicated to serving uh, Packerland service needs uh, private businesses and, and other providers, and then uh, another good chunk of it that will be dedicated to serving public needs, so interconnecting schools and libraries and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And I think you know I think it all starts, uh, Craig. This is Joe with. Uh, with proper planning, just like everything else uh, in the beginning. I mean, if you don't have the right plan and the right resources and the right people to carry out the plan, and then the communication, uh, there's constant communication. Uh, you know, uh, challenges arise every day uh, in, in the project, and uh, we're, we're all communicating. We, uh, we pretty much, as good partners do, we have each other's back. Um, you know, we, we were able to predict the future a little bit, uh, look for uh, uh, unforeseen uh, circumstances and consequences. Uh, uh, we, we really, it's really run like a business. Mm -hmm. And, and, and Brian, you guys are you guys work well within that framework. So far, it's been working really well. Yeah. Excellent. I think, excellent. I think I think we'd all admit uh, we didn't have everything figured out, and certainly all of the. Uh, rules and regulations within the grant program have have created some some challenges so some of this you know we're figuring out on the fly we think we did have a good plan going into this and we think we did have the right people that understood how to keep collaborations going and a lot of that's built on uh, trust and uh, but at the same time you know we are figuring some of this out as we go and that gets back to that whole concept of having demonstration communities we are going to take the lessons that we learned from this collaboration and try to apply them uh, within other communities. So in areas where we may have struggled, we're going to try to figure that out. And where we've had great success, we obviously want to maximize those. But uh, it's, it's been an interesting project from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So if I look ahead a little bit to you know post-build-out, uh, and you're trying to drive the adoption process as much as anything else, would it make sense to have a, a position maybe titled Director of, of Partnership Development and their role, similar to on the private side, private sector side, where you have you know business development, Vice President of Business Development goes out and develops partnerships and M&As and all the rest of that. Would it make sense to have someone whose role it is to figure out and find every kind of partnership 
at a regional or local level that can facilitate broadband continuing to move forward after you've actually turned on the physical infrastructure. This is Joe. I um, I can't speak uh, on behalf of Brian and, and Andy, but uh, I can clearly see uh, the partnership that we have today moving forward. Um, not you know with all the the technical ties that we have today and and, and the obligations that we have uh, that tie us together through the grant, but uh, what what we're finding out is that this thing really is working. I mean, uh, me from uh, being on the private sector side, I am getting calls from these uh these telecommunications organizations saying yeah we want we want in and uh how much is it going to be and when can i get it uh so you know i i see that moving forward uh from from our end uh but i also see the the benefits that these uh community uh, uh projects are going to uh realize here and and they're going to expand and with their successes, um, other organ- other communities and, and organizations are going to uh, learn from that and jump on it and be able to to leverage their uh, abilities to, um, to to grow you know well after the grant's done. So I, I still see, and, and you guys can chime in, but I still I still see us you know being being strong po- uh, partners well into the future. Mm-hmm. I I think that's a really insightful comment. Just the idea of helping people figure out. Collaboration. I, I always find it interesting when people get frustrated when certain groups or certain individuals don't work together. And I think what they forget is uh, collaboration is a is a skill, and it's something that you can teach. And we have some communities that have a great track record of collaboration within the communities, and others that fight like cats and dogs. And uh, <laughs> I think there is a you know there there is a role for extension and helping them figure out how to work together for the common good and and have them have some early success so that they get rewarded for that collaboration because it's a lot more work it's a, it's a you know people think that by you know having a partnership with lots of people it somehow becomes easier well in many ways it becomes more complicated but the the outcomes are are better you have different perspectives different skill sets and you end up with a better solution mhm so let's I think shift those to... exact sorts of duties will be part of the, the mission for, in particular, WISNET and Extension for years to come. But it, it's also that the whole idea of the private-public partnerships, I believe, is, is becoming well-known throughout the state to the point that we have, say, CIOs at, at each of our campuses. They go back to their hometowns, and they, they start trying to find those private partners. It, it's just becoming part of the cookbook as they see success other places. Mm-hmm. That could be, uh, yeah, that could be very interesting indeed. So let's move on a little bit. Um, I want to talk about economic development for the last part of the show. Uh, what are the main economic development objectives of this project? Well, you know, you know, I could I could start there because I think a logical question to ask might be, well, you know, how do community area networks that connect public and civic anchor institutions, you know, create jobs, income, and wealth, and one of the first places I'd start off with is that, you know, many of these uh, civic organizations, you know, whether we like it or not, are are major uh, employers in the communities. And uh, healthcare, in particular, uh, is an economic engine. And in 2009, uh, Wisconsin hospitals, for example, uh, had 28 billion dollars uh, in economic activity. And hospitals were a top 10 employer uh, in 44 of our 72 counties in Wisconsin. So by connecting those institutions, they are major uh, employers in our state. And 
after having said that, you know, I think it shocks some people, but, uh, you know, government actually, as government employment's been on decline for some time, you can go back to 1970, and the percentage of total employment that was in government employment was higher. It's been a pretty steady downward trend. Uh, 1970, uh, government made up about 14% of employment, now we're down to about 12%. But we shouldn't ignore uh, those public and civic organizations as being uh, major uh, economic engines in some of our communities. And uh, the, the second uh, way that will impact is that really this is about workforce development. By giving um, higher education, K-12, through and our libraries the kind of connectivity that they need, we're going to be able to build uh, a better, more skilled workforce, and that in turn will attract employers and their families. Uh, it, it's, you know, Joe talked earlier about businesses making decisions about where they locate. Uh, workforce does the same thing, and we already know from some of the survey work that uh, most people would not choose to live in a community that wasn't uh, well-connected, so that will have an impact uh, in that way. Um, I think certainly we talked about um, just the infusion of dollars and building out that infrastructure. That also uh, has an impact. And then finally, um, I know what uh, the economic development professionals are saying, and the International Economic Development Council did a survey uh, last year that had uh, over 300 uh, participants uh, respond, and they were asked a number of things. Uh, one of the questions was, has fiber broadband impacted or would you expect it to impact economic development in your community? And 76% said that it would have a direct impact or an indirect impact on attracting business, 71% said that it would have a direct or indirect impact on retaining businesses. So the economic development professionals uh, certainly get this. And uh, again, it's about um, giving those uh, public institutions the connectivity that they need, building the workforce, but also that infrastructure fueling uh, connections to our business parks and our employers. And Again, that's why this, I think this public-private partnership uh, is important, but it really is all about getting these communities the infrastructure that they're going to need to thrive and strive. And we're not naive. It's not the silver bullet. Uh, putting in the infrastructure isn't going to have businesses flocking to our communities, but if you don't have that infrastructure, you're going to be checked off the list. And I think uh, we've got some people that are going to be innovative in figuring out how to maximize this investment and you know frankly these uh, there are a couple of communities where I think the build it and they'll come model will work and I think Chattanooga and Kansas City are going to be two interesting communities to watch mm-hmm. so and within Craig, well, as I say Craig um, oh, yeah, go ahead. this is Joe uh, mm-hmm. I, and I could I can kind of talk firsthand on, on the economic development portion because I've, I've lived this uh, earlier in my career in, in 1996 uh, my company was the first uh, cable company to launch cable modems in the United States, and uh, we did that over hybrid fiber coax network. So we we laid the fiber, we we laid we put the infrastructure in, uh, and uh, one of the towns that we launched uh, was in the Upper Peninsula, of Michigan, uh, in Houghton, where Michigan Technological University is. And uh, when we launched cable modems in that community, uh, the the very first success story were a couple of tech students that uh, started a company called Thermo Analytics. And they they would have typically had to move down uh, to Detroit because what they did is they took uh, thermal imaging of of motors for the big three. Oh, and, right, uh, uh-huh. 
yeah, they were able to do that now uh, in in Houghton, Michigan. Uh, and uh, when I left, there were up to 10, uh, 10 tech students got together. Now there's a big industrial uh, uh, technology park there, and uh, you know big companies like uh, GM and, and uh, Ford and, and other uh, institutions are, are partnering. Of course, technology has advanced uh, and gotten a lot cheaper since uh, 1996, but uh, I can tell you firsthand that this stuff does work, and, and I think that's that's what gives us the confidence to be able to go there and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, one discussion I had actually earlier today with um, a gentleman from one of the counties down in uh, Tennessee, and they brought in broadband, and one of the objectives was to impact economic development. And one of the early discussions or debates that, that were had, early, uh, and early I mean like 2006, was, you know, do we do we focus on bringing big businesses in, you know, sort of the story that, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana tells of we we brought in broadband and a call center opens up and that's 500 jobs. Or on the flip side, do you use the technology to first uh, improve the competitiveness and business operations of the businesses you already have? Do you guys have any thoughts on you know if you had to do one first, would you would you go after the big box you know or, or the big home runs first, or would you focus on a bunch of singles and doubles first? Well, I, I, this is Andy. I, I've worked for 29 years helping communities develop economic development strategies, and I really think it is a no-brainer. You start with the businesses that you have, and you try to build uh, efficiencies and new strategies to help them stay and expand uh, their business. You know, the number of home runs that are hit in, in a state in a single year, you can count on one hand. And there are some things, as I said before, when I, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's going to be interesting to watch Kansas City and where they're putting in you know, fiber to the premise that's going to provide a gigabyte, uh, gigabit uh, connection. Uh, they're probably going to have some success uh, with a few home runs and are already having some success. But, you know, again, if I go back to that uh, uh, International Economic Development Council study, when the economic development professionals were asked, uh, can a broadband network encourage uh, individual entrepreneurship among underserved constituents, including the low-income, the elderly, and the rural? 61% said that they've seen it happen firsthand or that it would be quite likely. And then when they were asked, uh, can broadband be used to harness uh, home-based businesses into an economic development force within your area? Again, 77% said that they'd seen it firsthand or that it was quite likely. So. I think the infrastructure is, could have a major impact on uh, the existing businesses and certainly has the potential for some business attraction, but that's where I would put the emphasis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you look, uh, Eddie's right on the money there. You know, 80% of the jobs in the community come from existing businesses, uh, you know, a little bit over 10% over entrepreneurship or, or new business, and, you know, the rest is the, the you know, the, the, the big attractions. So one, one thing you can't... Uh, you can't forget about is the entrepreneur, and this opens up uh, a whole uh, a whole avenue uh, for that realm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in fact, I just wrote the story about one of your communities there in uh, Wisconsin, Three Lakes, and one of the more interesting uh, points that I picked up in doing that article was when the town uh, chairman said, you know. For us, if you bring in a business that has four or five employees or maybe eight employees, that's a big deal. 
And yeah. people, you know, policymakers in Washington and in, you know, at the state level often forget that probably because they don't come from rural areas, but it's really those small numbers is is what is is what matters. Well, you got to look true, at the not jobs. True. Um, yeah. Right, Eddie. You could probably talk a little bit more about that, but you know, uh, you know, just because you get a, a company with ten, uh, ten new jobs doesn't mean that's where it stops. It actually creates a, a spinoff effect multiplier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was say on the on the educational side of things, one of the things that we're ramping up is something we're calling the Virtual uh, Inventors and Entrepreneurs Club, using the infrastructure to help communities understand how to better connect people, and in this case, entrepreneurs. Uh, here in Wisconsin, we've got a, a pretty successful model uh, in creating uh, community-based uh, inventors and entrepreneurs clubs. These are community-based clubs. We have about 45 of them uh, across the state where it's basically a peer networking model. You get uh, business people and prospective business people together to talk about uh, their businesses. And we want to create that same environment and a virtual environment and give them the resources and the environment where they can start to talk to other entrepreneurs. And if you live in a really small community, uh, you've got a limited amount of access to, you know, other creative uh, individuals, other entrepreneurs. And obviously with uh, the right kind of uh, social media and, and interactive tools online, we can begin to connect some of those entrepreneurs and try to grow entrepreneurship within our small communities in Wisconsin. And, that's one small piece of the educational side of things. Again, uh, helping communities how to use that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, sorry, go ahead. The, the other piece related to education, that that same example, the three lakes. We've got a, a video case study that that focuses on that. And one of the pieces I wanted to mention is that you know those uh, those wireless networks are also reliant on a robust fiber network and. I'm hearing more and more in the media, uh, you know, this notion that somehow, you know, wireless is going to start to provide what fiber does today. And many of those wireless networks, cellular networks, they, they don't even meet the FCC's definition of broadband, let alone be able to provide 1 to 10 giga, gigabit <laughs> connections. And and you can't have those services, you can't have those mobile services without the fiber network. So we need both. And in some cases, like those remote towns in Three Lakes, it's a great uh, middle step. It gets them some better connectivity, and that's what it's about: is constantly improving people's level of connectivity. And the job's never going to be done, sadly enough. I mean, the the demand for for uh, bandwidth is going to continue to go up. It's it's like the first computer you bought with a hard drive, and you thought that 10 or 20 uh, megabyte hard drive was going to be all you ever needed. Uh, that'll probably never be the case. All right, we got about. Minute and a half. Andrew, I'm going to give you the last question in one minute. What's the one most important thing to do to try to get broadband to have a strong economic impact? You got a minute. Go. <laughs> it's really what I would say it's about the people. It's not about the technology. It's getting the right people around the table and getting them to understand how sharing uh, their needs and solutions is going to build a solution. And so when we talk about community area networks, it's about getting those people around the table that need connectivity, and that's the anchor institutions, but certainly the business community, the elected officials, and that's one of the things that Extension is going to be doing here in this state is helping communities figure that out. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, we have come to the conclusion of our show, and I want to thank each of you for being here. This has been very valuable, and I will definitely keep tabs on what's going on in Wisconsin and wish you guys all the best luck. 
Thanks for having us, Craig. No worries. And the final thanks to our um, media partners, um, GigaOM, Broadband Communities Magazine, uh, MiniWireless.com, and Community Broadband Networks. Um, And our audience, of course, for being with us week after week. Thank you very much, and we'll talk again soon. Have a good day.